0: Hi, this is Charlotte Reber. I'm reading the first half of a story from my young adult novel, Rumlands. The novel is composed of seven interconnected short stories. This is the first half of story number six, The Legend of the Snapper Squadron. The pilots had disappeared when the military banned flying, but they were still out there, folks said. You could take a man's license, dismantle his plane, leave him stranded on the cold hard ground, but he would still always be an airman and one day, when the weather shifted right, the pilots would return. You couldn't kill a ghost or a legend. They walked silently among everyone else, heroes of a bygone age, just waiting for their chance to return to the sky. Turk couldn't believe how disappointingly easy they were to find. Most of them still wore their flight jackets, for one thing. The insignia patch on the left shoulder indicated which squadron they belonged to, just as clearly as a military uniform. Turk didn't know what each particular patch meant, but she was able to recognize most of the different varieties, even from a distance, after a week of spying on them whenever she landed the red snapper and snuck into town for supplies. The group of pilots she was watching right now were sun chasers, their faded insignia, a half-circle disappearing behind a horizontal line. They were lounging outside the rear of a run-down tavern on the edge of town, but they'd straightened up sharpish when another pilot had approached them, a tough-looking woman with a gold insignia Turk couldn't make out. The conversation only took a few seconds to get ugly, One of the sun chasers got in the woman's face, trying to intimidate her. When she didn't back down, it rapidly turned to blows. Turk sighed grumpily from where she was watching on a nearby Amanita cap. Honestly, how was this any different from Gorn Canyon? She might as well have stayed there among the bosses and gamblers, where she didn't have to hide her plane every time she landed, or spend hours and hours scoping out of town just to learn where it was safe to buy fuel. At least back in the canyon, the fights had been over race outcomes or deals gone bad, not petty feuds between squadrons that might as well not even exist anymore. She'd give it one more week before turning back. Quartz had insisted she try to see as much of the Rumlins as possible while it was still around, and Turk supposed she owed her at least that much. Even if she didn't see what was so special about the world beyond the canyon, out here where the open sky was the biggest lie of all. There were a lot of things Turk learned about the Rumlins from a thousand feet in the air like the way the morals lit up gold when the sun began to set over the badlands, or the way troop movements were so easy to pick out from the air, even if the larger map of their maneuvers was meaningless to her, or how barren the southeastern region of the Rumlands seemed, even from a great distance, where a perpetual lingering haze was all that remained of where they'd raised the Amanita fields for miles in every direction. The military had started with axes, but now simply used fire. It had been called Somerset before, Turk heard. Now, folk had taken to calling it the Waste. She headed north instead. At least where it was hillier, it was harder to see the signs of destruction, even if it did make finding places to land all the more challenging. It took less than the week she'd promised herself for the last of her food and money to run out. In Gorn Canyon, that hadn't been a problem. You simply stole it from whoever had last tried to cross you, or you won money off your next race, or you loitered around Dominique or Moran or one of the few other decent people in the canyon until they took pity on you. Here, everyone she encountered was either just as downtrodden as she was, or wearing a uniform and carrying a gun. Dominique and Quartz weren't here. Moran was long dead. At least in the canyon, she'd known what to expect when approaching a stranger. Here, she had no idea what she might encounter as she pulled on Dominique's oversized flight jacket and crept into another unfamiliar town, looking for pilots. As usual, they were easy enough to find. Three of them, marcher squadron, two men and a woman loadering around the empty town square fountain and drinking. Turk swallowed, then stood up as straight as she could and marched over to them. How much to race, she asked. It was a normal enough greeting in Gorn Canyon, but Turk expected its meaning was pretty clear even in the rest of the rumlins. She tried not to flinch when all three pilots turned in unison to stare at her. Keep walking, kid, the middle one said. I'm serious, Turk said. If you've got a plane, I'll race for cash. I'm good, real good. The one on the left started to guffaw. "'Where'd you fall out of the sky from, kid? "'Gorn Canyon?' "'Leave her alone, Grimes,' said the third pilot, "'smacking him upside the head. "'Don't listen to him, kid. "'Gorn Canyon's a myth.' "'Do you have a plane or not?' Turk said, "'folding her arms defensively. "'Cause if not, I gotta go elsewhere.' "'Wait, wait, kid. Hang on.' The pilot on the left managed to swallow down his laughter. "'Are you saying you've got a plane?' "'What, and you don't?' Turk said. The laughter vanished completely. All three of the pilots were staring at her. "'Where?' the woman asked. Outside of town, Turk said. Are you agreeing to race or not? The three pilots exchanged looks, then rose to their feet, tossing their empty bottles into the fountain. Show us your plane first, the one in the middle said. It wasn't as if she had a choice. Turk led them out of town, through the scrubby brush and the skullcaps that surrounded the town, and out onto the plateau where she left her plane. She heard one of the pilots swear in awe when they crested the hill and saw the red snapper, its bright red paint gleaming in the late afternoon sun, its painted-on face toothy and grinning. You weren't joking, the woman said, coming up to stare at the plane. You really have a plane. Turk began to have a distinctly bad feeling in her stomach. All right, so where's yours, she said. We gonna race or not? Sorry, kid. One of the pilot's hands clamped down on her shoulder. We don't have the fuel to waste on racing. Military confiscates everything they come across, including our plane at the moment. We've been grounded in this hole in the wall for three months now. Reckon you might be our ticket out of here, though, the other man said, turning back to look at her. Turk stared at each of them in turn. Her knife was in her belt, but she didn't think she could take on three fully-grown pilots at once. "'I'm not giving you a ride,' she said. "'No,' the man holding her shoulder said, regretfully. "'Guess you're not.' The next moment, she found her headscarf yanked down over her eyes, blinding her. Turk yelled and ripped her knife free of her belt, only for it to be smacked out of her hands. "'Sorry, kid,' the woman's voice said, as Turk's hands were yanked behind her and bound swiftly. "'But we need this plane. It's our only shot out of here.' "'That's mine!' Turk screamed at them. "'That's my plane! That's my snapper! You can't take my oomph!' The man who'd bound her hands shoved the ends of her headscarf into her mouth. Turk choked and spluttered and yelled as loudly as she could around the fabric. She could feel tears of rage pooling in her eyes as her shouts were drowned out by the sound of a familiar engine starting, and then roaring to life and moving away from her across the plateau." By the time she got her hands free and untangled her headscarf, they were long gone. The sky was silent and turning gray, with no sign of which direction they'd gone. They'd taken the red snapper. They'd taken her wings. There was no way to track them. Even if Turk had had a map, they could have flown in any direction, especially since most map markers were points to be avoided these days. The ground was occupied, but the skies were open. As long as you dodged the military, you could fly wherever you wanted to. She'd never felt lost in Gorn Canyon, even at her most lonely, even at her most desperate. No matter how bad things had gotten, she'd still always been able to fly, day in and day out, through the poison caps and along the canyon. Now she was grounded. The sky seemed very far away. For the first time, she began to understand the reason the soldiers had destroyed the planes. How broken must everyone else feel who had known the thrill of flight only for it to be ripped away? Or those who had never even known flight at all? The rumlins were too large, too uncharted, too locked down by soldiers willing to kill on sight for anyone to travel it without wings. The jacket Turk wore had once been Dominique's, but before that it had been a squadron jacket. The badges had long since been cut free from the shoulder, but Turk could still make out the pinpricks of thread and the discoloration on the leather from where they'd been. She wished she'd asked Dominique where she'd gotten it, and if it had been hers or someone else's, and what squadron it had belonged to. If Turk had had a squadron, maybe those airmen wouldn't have been so keen to threaten her and follow her and steal her plane. And maybe she wouldn't currently be scaling the fence of a military camp in the dead of night to stow away on a cargo plane heading anywhere. In the dark of the hold, crowded between crates that smelled suffocatingly of grease and gunpowder, she found herself picturing the face Quartz had helped her paint onto the front of the red snapper, dangerous and grinning and toothy. It was a face anyone would have cowered at, airmen or military. Her hand came up to rub the bare shoulder of her jacket. The plane landed for refueling, and the soldiers climbed off, leaving the cargo door open. Turk climbed up through a floor hatch, wedging her skinny frame through the painfully tight space, and crawled on her belly past the open hatch door of the plane and into the empty cockpit. The hardest part of takeoff was finding the lever to close the side doors. While the soldiers shouted outside and pounded on the side of the plane, Turk started the engines and turned the plane to face the runway. The soldiers scattered when she switched on the front propellers, leaving the runway clear. It was a heavier bird than she was used to. She ended up needing every inch of runway she got, but in the end she was skyborne, alone and free, heading north across the badlands by the cockpit's compass. She landed about six miles north of our cross, according to the map. The explosives in the hold she took great pleasure in dumping over an abandoned stretch of the badlands, though she was disappointed by how small the resulting explosion was. The plane had gotten her far, but she couldn't travel forever in something so bulky or obviously stolen. She packed up all the rations the soldiers had left behind, emptied the bullets out of the guns, and took the large hunting knife one of them had left. Standing outside in the hot Badlands air, with the sun slowly setting behind her, she carved long, angry scratches into the metal and paint of the plane's sides. It took her a dangerous twenty minutes, but she did it anyway. Snapper Squadron was here. And beside it, a stylized face in a circle grinning and toothy and deadly. The rations from the cargo plane would be enough to last her a week if she was careful. Turk walked until she saw a plane overhead, hiding under a mushroom until it passed, and then changing course to follow it until at last, a full day's walking later, she saw the lights of a city in the distance. No, not a city. By nightfall she confirmed it was a military camp of some kind, with a temporary airstrip set for them to use. According to the map, she was on the far eastern fringe of the Badlands, nearly to Capstan. The camp would have planes. Capstan would have food, and trade, and people who didn't try to kill her on sight. She hesitated, then turned her steps instead towards the city. "'I mean, if you've got the bark to cover it, I can get you any patch you like,' the street scrounger she found in Capstan said doubtfully. "'But a custom one, that'll take me a few days, and I don't think I'm going to be in town that long.' "'You've got a ride?' Turk asked eagerly. "'What squadron?' Uh not exactly part of a squadron,' the man said shiftily. "'More of an independent partnership. "'And no room for passengers, trust me. "'It barely fits two. "'He looked at Turk's defeated expression and sighed, "'rubbing the back of his neck. "'Ah, hellbore. "'Look, what's the design you've got in mind? "'And do you have anything to trade for it?' "'Digging in Dominique's coat, "'Turk produced a few items of worth she had. "'Dried chanterelle slices long since gone stale. six and change of red bark.' and the crumpled and dog-eared map of the northern badlands she'd taken from the plane. To her surprise, the scrounger ignored the money, picking up the map instead. You'd part with this, he said, looking at Turk. When she nodded, the scrounger gave a grin. All right, kid, you got yourself a deal. Tell me what you need, and I'll see what I can throw together by this evening. Grinning, Turk shook his hand. The military's worst-kept secret was that they were storing captured planes at a camp about nine miles north of Bulletin. What was less commonly known was that the more valuable planes were taken to a location even further north, almost at the foot of the Grey Mountains. Stealing the cargo plane had been desperation, not something she'd even truly thought she could get away with. But they just brought a beautiful Norden scout plane and left it sitting still on the runway with only one sleepy guard nearby, and it was so similar in size and design to the snapper, and what was it Quartz had said? That Turk could probably fly anything? She'd flown the poison cap run, after all. Flying at night couldn't be that much harder. It was a lot harder, as it turned out. The military hadn't thought to light their runway well, and a bullet shattered the windshield as she was trundling down it. Her heart continued to pound long after she was airborne and away, the wind whistling through her open cockpit and chilling her even through the thick leather of the jacket. She landed as soon as it was light enough to see the ground. The pre-dawn glades were eerily silent when she cut the engine. Turk climbed over the shattered windshield to stand on the hood of the plane, raised both fists in the air, and whooped as recklessly and loudly as she could until she had no air left. No poison caps here to hide the sky from her, or her from it. Just her, a plane, and the open air. She still had plenty of fuel, and enough of a sense of the breeze in the mountains to know which way was north. She continued on, landing a mile from a town as soon as she spotted it on the horizon, and then jogged the rest of the way, arriving mid-morning. She traded the toolbox for a st- from the stolen scout plane for a can of paint and some food, then trekked back to where she'd landed, munching roasted morals as she went. With the paint and big savage slashes, she painted a facsimile of the snapper's face onto the nose of the plane. Having now stolen a plane once, Turk knew she could do it again. She gave it a week, then went back to the military boneyard, waiting until the sky had just begun to lighten with dawn before making her move. The soldiers were faster this time, but so was she. After two more successful thefts, she laid low for a week, then hit up the boneyard with the less prized planes instead, stealing a beautiful red tail with a terrible engine that was next in line to be dismantled. With five planes now to her name, Turk supposed that by Gorn Canyon standards she would have counted as a boss. But it wasn't many planes she wanted, it was one in particular, and she was still no closer to finding it. And she couldn't keep this up forever. The memory of the bullets whistling over her head and shattering the windshield woke her nearly every night. It wasn't sustainable but it was something. A start. A start to what, exactly, she couldn't have begun to say. She was in the slums outside occupied Candletown when she first began to hear the rumors. The city proper might be cut off, but the rock it was built on was littered with tunnels and routeways, and the soldiers hadn't bothered to do anything about the towns springing up around the outsides of what had once been a hub of transportation and trade. The airmen are coming back, a woman nearby was saying to a group clustered around a smoky tinderhoof fire. Turk, miserably trying to eat something the salesman had sworn was Pigeon, willingly lowered her food and turned her head to better eavesdrop. Just the other day, three of the rowdy rags robbed a soldier of all he had and got away before the rest of his troops showed up. And they say the Valkyries are summing all their members to meet in King's Oysters before the soldiers get there. And she dropped her voice, causing Turk and everyone within hearing distance to automatically lean closer. There's even a new squadron, one that's not afraid to pick a fight with the military. The Snapper Squadron. They're stealing planes from right under the soldiers' noses and putting together an army to drive them back out of the rumlins. Turk snorted quietly, scraping at her dinner with a knife to try and find any remaining portions worth eating. An army? She didn't even have a functioning plane at the moment, though she did have a decent boneyard of her own going halfway between here and the Waste. She still wasn't quite sure what to do with her spoils. Vaguely, she supposed at some point she could take her the best of them and go fly south back to Gorn Canyon and convince Quartz to come help her fly them all south. But if she brought them to the canyon that was only another death sentence wasn't it the racers there would crash them into the canyon and leave them as more skeletons of the past these weren't wrecks they were still perfectly good planes the best the military had been able to get their hands on they were meant to be flown not destroyed or left to languish the woman by the fire was telling another story of the snappers bravery but turk didn't stay to listen she tugged her coat closer around her making sure the end of her headscarf fell low enough to cover her shoulder insignia and trudged back through the camp into the night looking for a safe place to sleep.